0: Could you start by telling me a bit about your background and uh, which, which key life events or experiences led you down the path you're in now of clean tech investing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm a partner with Pangea Ventures. Pangea is a hard tech and impact-focused venture capital fund. We invest in companies that are leveraging advancements in material science, chemistry, and biology that help move the needle on big global challenges related to climate change, food and water security, and healthcare. Um, I joined Pangea in twenty twelve pathway professionally that aligned with my sort of personal values and vision um, and mission, I guess. And so the fact that Pangea, you know, is, is not only an impact fund, but, you know, really focused on clean tech and climate tech, especially, that was really the core of what we were doing when I joined in 2012, really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I In school, for undergrad, I studied environmental science, and so that idea of business with purpose and, and the environment and sustainability was something that I was really passionate about, both as a teenager and sort of through my academic career, and I actually... Um, went back to school for graduate school to get my MBA in an effort to sort of refocus my career into sort of environment, sustainability, and climate. So I focused on environmental business um, and to
0: sort of make that pivot and shift. Mm-hmm. And is there anything in particular that, att- that really attracted you to investing in particular in, in green and clean tech?
1: Yeah, you know, a lot of people... I've had a number of conversations with with friends and colleagues and people interested in venture capital over the years, and I didn't know what venture capital was when I joined Panjaya. You know, this was just at the the start of the the hype in the industry. You know, shows like Silicon Valley weren't on TV. Dragon's Den and Shark Tank were kind of just starting. And I knew I wanted to sort of work in clean tech and sustainability and, you know, uh, during my MBA I was interviewing with, you know, consulting firms that had sustainability practices, big companies that were starting to think about the energy transition and a move to low, car- low carbon economy. And then I got introduced to the team at Pangea and without knowing a single thing about Metro Capital, just thought what they were doing as an organization was so interesting to be at that sort of nexus of breakthrough innovations and the ability to accelerate their growth and adoption in the market it just seemed like uh, much more of an opportunity not only to have impact but as you know a young person starting my career just the intellectual curiosity i had Mm -hmm. seemed like it would be much more satisfied by a path uh, in venture capital than management consulting for example and that was just for me for me on a personal level and it wasn't until I sort of jumped into working with Pangea um, into the deep end with both feet that I also discovered that I I, you know was comfortable living in this world of
0: of ambiguity and and, uh, entrepreneurship Mm. and how would you describe your your role if you if you had three words three adjectives to describe it, or, or the job and what it's like?
1: It's really hard to describe in just three adjectives, but, um, you know, maybe, maybe I'll do three short short sentences or, or sure. phrases yeah. if that's okay. Well, let me try. So it's dynamic. Um, it's intellectually uh, curious. and it it's
0: people-based. Mm, very nice. Did you have any experience as an investor that has really stood out to you as being immorable or just something that turned out very different from, from what you had expected?
1: That, that's a difficult question to answer because pretty much every experience doesn't go exactly Mm -hmm. as planned whether it's around the initial deal structure uh, things you learn in due diligence or you know when you invest in a company it's about you know the best case scenario you know you paint this rosy picture of how the company's going to perform how the market's going to unfold you know what the profile of customers are going to look like and It's never, it's like Instagram versus reality. Mm -hmm. It's never exactly, you know, how you think it's going to turn out. Sometimes it's better. Sometimes there are roadblocks and obstacles in the way. And it's really about the tenacity and the ingenuity of the founders and the management team around how they handle that. Mm -hmm. And so one of the the things that we've done at Pangea over the last several years, um, to help ensure that when things go in unexpected directions, our our team and the teams we invest in are, are best equipped to handle this, Is we spend a lot of time in our due diligence process, really drilling down into the teams that we're investing in. How do they work together? How do they make decisions? How do they react when things don't go well? What is their sort of default behavior in times of stress? And then, how can we sort of work to support them and, you know, help them get through their
0: own personal roadblocks as they're navigating the challenges of building the company? And how do you? What, what is your ideal relationship with, with uh, the companies or the entrepreneurs that you work with and invest in?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we we work in, and I work very closely with all of the entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that, that we invest in as a team. You know, we, uh, on a structural level, are often on the board of the companies that we invest in. So that sort of sets out that formalized relationship. But, you know, generally we're talking to the CEOs of our portfolio companies fairly regularly, depending on what's happening in the business. It could be, you know, a weekly or bi-weekly catch-up call. It could be more of a monthly cadence. It, it really depends. But, you know, one of the things that, think is really important and that i put a lot of emphasis on is building long-term relationships with founders whether or not they're in our portfolio most of the companies that we've invested in um, we've gotten to know over two or three years sometimes before we even have that conversation about writing that first check and then there are many you know founders and ceos who will never invest in but still maintain um you know very valuable relationships and might you know add value to their business in other ways, even though we haven't, you know, specifically written a check into that company. Mm
0: -hmm. And what kind of company would you like to receive a pitch from?
1: What kind of company would I like to receive a pitch from? So we're focused on investing in commercial stage companies. So companies that have already gone through that lengthy research and development Cycle and have at least one strong reference customer, and companies that have a lot of conviction around their unique technology and value proposition, and that are bringing a commercially commercially ready, economically viable solution to the market that helps solve, you know, one of the big global challenges that that we're focused on. So again, that's climate change, food and, food and water security, and healthcare predominantly, but there are other sort of themes within that, like distributed manufacturing, supply chain, um, you know. Heavy industries and extractive industries that require, you know, more efficiencies and the technologies that help sort of clean up their footprint, and you know, we've got
0: uh, a lot of detail around that on our website. And can you share an example of the worst and best pitch that you have seen? So I'm
1: gonna talk in broad brushstrokes. Um, the best pitches are with teams that are not only prepared and have a good understanding of, of who we are, what we do, and the stage that we invest in, but mm-hmm. know their market, have deep conviction around what it is that they're doing, and really understand the economics of their business. It's not just about falling in love with you know, really exciting, novel, interesting technology. It has to not only work, but it has to be cost effective and there has to be a customer there. And entrepreneurs that really understand that do a great job with their pitches. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, you know, we see not all pitches are equal. And there, there are two big mistakes that I see founders making. One is not understanding your audience. And so, you know, Founders that reach out and try and pitch me on their e-commerce startup or you know their their SaaS whatever startup it, it, that's not what we do and mm-hmm. so it, it's gonna fall flat it's it's not a good use of their time and the other is is you know founders that don't understand their market or um, feel like feel like they have pressure to know all of the answers. Uh-huh as opposed to saying great question I don't know but let me find out.
0: Mm. And what's the number one question that a founder should be prepared for if they're pitching to you or to, to the company?
1: Yeah, number one question, you know, do you have do you have a customer? That's that's <laughs> number one is do you have a customer and will they buy again? You know, we, we, because of the stage we're investing in, we make certain assumptions in that initial conversation that the technology works, we're not going to get into the weeds on that in you know, a first or, or maybe even second meeting. So what's really relevant is that it's a big market that's growing relatively quickly with strong tailwinds behind it, and there are customers, and so really understanding um, and trying to drill down and uh, you know, do you understand your customer buying behavior? Do you have that pers- customer profile persona down pat, or are you still trying to figure out that product market fit? Mm-hmm.
0: And what areas of climate tech, clean tech do you see as having the biggest growth potential within the next couple of years? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there are some really interesting tailwinds right now in a couple of areas, like decarbonization and plant-based proteins. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, you know, both of those are going to continue to grow. Um, But looking at, you know, even just the the climate-related events in the last six weeks, you know, extreme flooding in parts of Europe, Germany in particular, massive heat waves going across Canada in the U.S., and the impact on agriculture from all of these changes in our climate and extreme weather events, you know, are going to dramatically impact how we produce food and where we produce food. And while that is maybe not a direct climate tech area, it's impacted by our change in climate and agriculture is also a substantial um, emitter when it comes to, you know, greenhouse gas emissions and sort of changing land use. And so I think that's going to be where we're going to see a lot of focus both from a, a climate change resiliency perspective, but also thinking about how do we, you know, reduce our footprint in that respect and how, how do we feed the world? You know, when you know a good chunk of the, the viable land, our land in, in North America is going to be unproductive this year because
0: of the heat waves mm. yeah good good question and do you, have you seen any startups uh, working along those lines or have you worked with any in particular um, that you you thought were pretty outstanding
1: absolutely so we, we've got a number of investments in the agriculture agritech space we have a company called prime roots out okay. of uh, california they're in the plant-based protein space mm-hmm. um and so that's one that we're, we're really excited about. They're not only developing a, a whole food protein, but ready to eat meals. Um, and it's pretty tasty if you ask me. And then the other one um, that we just invested in at the end of 2020 is a company called Tidal Vision. And, and they're not only working in the agriculture market, but they're also a circular economy company. So they take seafood waste from the uh, Fishery industry uh, waste shells from lobsters, crabs, and other crustaceans that would otherwise be landfilled or you know tossed back in the ocean, and they've developed a process that allows you to extract a naturally occurring biopolymer mm-hmm. from these shells called chitosan, and it's used in a myriad of applications from wastewater treatment to textile processing, but there are also tremendous opportunities in agriculture as a soil amendment to increase agricultural yields and improve cross robustness and and overall sort of ecosystem health. So those are two recent investments that we've made in that space, and we have also have investments in companies like Calista, which is using methane to produce protein for animal feed, Vesteron, which is producing a, a biopesticide that's inherently safe for bees and other polymers, and New leaf, which is leveraging um, sort of the plant microbiome um, to, you know, produce higher agricultural yields, more robust crops.
0: Um I'll move on to some. Is there anything else that you want to add on the on the investment and pitching space, as in like advice to companies to startups who are looking for investment? Because I know that it's it's actually very very tough for a lot of these clean tech startups to find the investment that they want. So yeah, I uh,
1: you know I would say to companies is is not to get discouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, you know just because you hear one no, ten no's, fifty no's from investors doesn't necessarily mean that there's not a viable business here. It's just not the right fit for them. And I think, you know, at Pigeo, we see a 1,000 investment opportunities a year. We maybe make three investments. So there's a lot of reasons why we say no or not right now. And other funds are probably in similar boats. And so for founders, especially if this is your first fundraise, you know, I I would start to collect and collate all of the feedback you're getting from these investors. They have very good pattern recognition. They see a lot of companies that maybe look kind of like you, and and listening to that feedback will really help you refine your pitch and better target the investor group that is the right fit for what you're doing. Mm And I mean, we go through this ourselves, right? We have to raise our own fund. We're raising uh, our impact fund, Fund Five, right now, and you know, we're not a fit for every you know, allocator and investor and it's, it's finding the right
0: groups that, you know, we fit into their strategy. Yeah. All right. I'll move on to a couple, uh, personal questions. How would you describe your life philosophy?
1: Yeah. you know, I haven't really given that one a whole, a whole lot of thought. I think, you know, life philosophy is, um, Probably around, you know, being a lifelong learner and and intellectually curious. I also, you know, have the luxury and the privilege to love what I do. Professionally, life is short, and I think it's important that if you have the ability to follow, you know, not only your passions and your heart, but to spend your career doing something that you, you believe in and that you love, um, because we spend so much time at work, I, to me that's really important. and I have the privilege of being able to do that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, it's not all about work. I think it's also really important to have um, a little bit of balance. And, and for me, that means getting out of the office, getting out of the house, and spending some time in nature, whether that's taking my dog for a walk in the forest or going to the beach or, or spending time outside in other ways. So it's about intellectual curiosity, it's about balance, and it's about, you know, waking up every day and, and you know generally loving what I do. Yeah,
0: that's great. So
1: fo- following your passion, I, I guess. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, where do you see yourself in 10 years' time if you could teleport yourself into the future and be anywhere doing anything?
1: Yeah, so Pangea, we'd be on fund seven or eight by then. <laughs> Uh, we're on Fund Five now, and you know, every four or five years we raise a new fund. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, continuing to you know really support game-changing entrepreneurs ar- around climate tech and, and healthcare, and, and hopefully, you know, we've got in, in ten years we've got some really great targets uh, for our, our portfolio and our fund uh, around you know CO2 mitigation. Uh, increase in food production, fresh water safety. I I hope we've sort of knocked all of those targets and goals out of the water.
0: Awesome. Uh, If there was one change that you could make uh, as far as sustainability goes, um, what would it be and why? Uh, So let me just clarify that because that's a bit of a broad question. Uh, yeah. Okay. L- let's see if there was one industry of clean tech where you could make a change within that industry. Which one would you choose?
1: Yeah, I think it would be on the energy side mm-hmm. if we could figure out how to make you know fusion and nuclear work cost effectively. Like nuclear works, but there's a lot of you know considerations around environmental and regulatory. But if we could make fusion work,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that would really, you know, solve a lot of our problems around transport our dependence on fossil fuels, right? It would solve our, our challenges around energy, around you know fuel and transportation. We'd have this perpetually renewable source of, of clean and abundant energy where you know your byproduct is essentially seawater.